0: Hello and welcome to the Times Online Pittsburgh Penguins podcast. We are in the midst of the Stanley Cup Final. I am your host, Brian Metzer, back with you as I am each and every week and have been all season long, dating back to the earliest moments of this season when who would have dreamt or imagined that the Pittsburgh Penguins would be in the position where they are right now, which is sitting on the cusp of making some history here in the Stanley Cup Final. Holding a three games to one edge over the San Jose Sharks, with a chance to win it all on home ice Thursday night. So uh, it's great to be back here with you, as it is each and every week, as I just mentioned. Hope you've been following along with our coverage at timesonline.com in terms of our of our written word in terms in terms of our podcasting our videos, everything else that we've been doing for you. It's been a blast to run through this playoff run with the, with the Pittsburgh Penguins and bringing it all to you guys via timesonline.com. Now, before we get into anything else, I just wanted to tell you where you can find this show as well as all of our other podcasts that we've been able to uh, been put together or that we do put together for you guys. You can find us at timesonline.com itself iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Uh, At some of those, all you have to do is go out there and search Beaver County Times and you will find the Penguins Podcast, the Pirates, the Steelers, the Scholastic, the pop culture, the media, everything else you want to find right there for you. Just search Beaver County Times. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Metzer. You can find all of the work that I do for the Beaver County Times, timesonline.com there. You can find my NHL.com stuff. You can find my Penguins Radio network stuff that's where I will uh, hype up when I'm doing radio appearances, everything else like that. as well as uh, solicit your your feedback and comments for this show, which we do have some a handful of Twitter questions to get to during this edition of the uh, of the podcast. So, Uh, As I said mere moments ago, we are in the Stanley Cup Final. The Penguins, uh, they took a two games to none lead. They lost a game. Then they went up. They went right back and took control again, leading this one three games to one. And uh, it really could have been a sweep for the penguins unfortunately wasn't but in a way it's kind of a silver lining because everybody that's been wanting to see a, uh, a Stanley Cup raised in Pittsburgh will get an opportunity Thursday night you don't want to put the the uh, cart in front of the horse here because you still got to go out and play the games but there isn't uh, you know there isn't a better scenario that you could you could put together than seeing the uh, penguins with a chance to maybe hoist Lord Stanley's Cup on home ice now Lots to get to on this show. Let's jump right into it. The last time we got together here on this podcast, the Penguins had just taken a one-game-to-none lead, winning on Memorial Day, beating the Sharks. Uh, It was a, a fun game to be a part of. Then you get into game two on home ice, which went to overtime yet again. It seems like something that we've had happen all season long or all playoffs long where the home game seemed to find a way to go to the extra frame. Well, this one was the youngster. Connor Sheary getting it done. Uh, just w- what can you say about Connor Sheary? Let's talk about him just for a couple moments here. I know he hasn't put up a ton of points in the playoffs in general, but to be such a young guy, to be a player that's an undrafted free agent, to come on board, just do it now at the highest level just is just an amazing thing to have witnessed. He's playing on a line with Sidney Crosby. Doesn't seem to be overwhelmed by that fact at all. And the neatest thing that you will see is this play, you know, taking it back a couple games now to game th- or to game 2. Sidney Crosby essentially draws this play up on the ice in overtime. He's direct in traffic. He tells Brian Dumoulin where to go. He tells Chris Letang where to go. He tells Connor Sheary where to go. Then he goes and he wins the faceoff gets it right back to Latang who makes a quick read gets it to Connor Sheary who as a young player now he he takes it just in that area above the faceoff dot he could have he could have maybe tried to slide down try and go to the net with it try and make another pass nope he takes the pass that's a little bit behind him and that might have worked in his favor because he takes the pass and he just turns and whips it towards the net Picks Martin Jones over his glove, and it just a great goal for a sniping young player. You love to see that happen. And the funniest thing was, I think that um, Connor Sheary was the last guy in the building to know that it went in. Because the, uh, the Penguins, they're all celebrating, and then you see it dawn on him. Holy crap. It went in. It beat Martin Jones. I've just scored a Stanley Cup final game-winning goal in overtime. That's got to be one of those moments you dream about as a uh, NHL player when you're a kid. I know, as a non-NHL player, when we were playing on the mean streets of Bloomfield, Pennsylvania, IA, uh, when I was growing up, we all dreamed of scoring that goal. So I'm sure that Connor Sheary did the same thing. So really, uh, really kind of a neat thing to see that happen for him. But then you get into the game three situation going cross-country, having to play the first game out on the West Coast. If the Penguins were going to drop a game, I felt like they uh, that would be the one they were going to drop just because of the travel, the fans that were behind the Sharks on home ice. It was their first Stanley Cup final game and their first Stanley Cup final appearance for the uh, Sharks franchise after 25 long years. So you sort of anticipated if the Penguins were going to have their their woes. It would come in Game 3, and even though the Penguins probably didn't play their best game uh, in Game 3, they still were right there about to win this game in regulation, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about here before we go through a lot of the the specifics of this series. Uh, you, You saw the Penguins come out, and maybe... They had overwhelmed the Sharks at times with their speed in this series. They had really taken the play to them and had the better of the opportunities, the better of just about everything. Well, in this one, I know the ice was just horrid. Which is a shame, I know it 's tough to keep ice good out in uh, ninety degree weather in the west coast, etc, cetera, etc, cetera. but it, it was a situation where the ice was just uh, garbage from what I understand. A lot of people who were out there covering it said you could you could almost tell to the naked eye that the ice wasn 't good, even during the warm up. The puck was bouncing a lot, tough to complete a solid, uh, smooth pass. So what the penguins did here, and I, I think it worked against them was they, at every opportunity, just tried to chip the puck up the wall. They would get a chance at a loose puck in their own zone. They'd get to it like they had been doing all playoffs long. But then rather than look for a a pass or try and make a transition play, they would just immediately bang it up the wall, bang it up the wall. And it would get into the neutral zone, and the Sharks would gather it right in and come right back on the attack. So the Penguins were on their heels a lot more in this game. I believe they they blocked 38 shots in Game 3. Now, you love to see the shot blocks but it's a very deceptive stat. And you ask yourself, well, why? Why is it deceptive? It means you're in your own zone. Way too much. Shot blocks are always a great number. I mean, it's fun to see it happen. It's You want to see guys be warriors and get out there in front of pucks, but it means you're playing in your zone all night long. If you're rolling up 40 block shots in a game, it's because you're always on your heels. You're trying to defend. You're trying to protect your net. That's what happened to the Penguins in this game. That's why their shot block total went so high. Now, Shot blocks have been a key, I think, to their success, too, because they're, they're even stunting the Sharks one and done. They're getting it right out of the zone by blocking shots, specifically on the Sharks' power play. But in this game, they were in their zone far too often. Now, what happened, though, Penguins have done a great job of shutting the Sharks' power play down. They did it in this game. There was a double minor they had to kill off for high stick. Well, they, they are just about to get the kill. Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang... They get up ice with the puck. They're right at the Sharks' blue line, about to go into the offensive zone, and inexplicably, they do not get the puck deep. Sharks grab it, come the other way. Joel Ward scores one of the worst goals you're ever going to see. I know he made a nice shot, but at the same time, he's coming right down the middle, cranks up a slapper, and it just sort of skips through Matt Murray's body. Not the way you wanted to see this go if you're a Penguin fan, if you're Matt Murray, if you're Mike Bales, the Penguins goaltending coach. Just a bad all-around play from all involved. And people want to beat Matt Murray up for not making the save, which I'm on, on fully on board with that. He needed that save for sure. But his teammates let him down all the way away, 150 feet away or whatever it is by messing up at the Sharks' blue line, poor puck management. Sidney Crosby would later admit that he thought Nick Bonino was coming out of the box and was going to be there to collect a puck when they, they sort of fumbled a little bit and made a play at the line there. Well, Nick Bonino didn't come out, of the, um, come out of the box for about three or four more seconds. That allowed the Sharks' time to get up ice, create the scoring opportunity, gets to overtime. And Jonas Donskoy, Donskoy, who was an undrafted free agent, we did a uh, sizing up on him just the other day for timesonline.com, hope you got a chance to check that out. Well, he comes around the net and beats Matt Murray with one of those typical goals we've seen Murray allow a lot during these playoffs, which is plays coming out from behind the goal line, from behind the net. He's still just not setting up properly, coming out from beneath the goal line, coming out uh, off the far post, when it comes around the net quickly, he's down. He's in that crab position, trying to protect against a wrap around because it's still in the back of his mind that TJ Oshie beat him in Game One against the Capitals that way, and it allows players to then take two steps out, create a shooting angle, and either shoot pucks over the short side the way Donskoy did, or pick the far corner on him, and that's what happened here. But Penguins, it's two to one at this point. They come out. They're ready for Game Four. Uh, I think that the Sharks fans were, they were all over the, they were, you know, we'll say they were over the moon because Metallica, the hometown band, uh, local band, if you will, out in the Bay Area, they play the National Anthem. They've been big Sharks supporters throughout these playoffs. They're there, Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield, they blow out the National Anthem. For me... As a Metallica fan growing up, uh, you know, pretty much watching them throughout their entire career, I don't think I ever would have seen the day or I ever dreamed of a day that Metallica would be on the ice during the Stanley Cup final, let alone an NHL game in general, playing the national anthem. But that's what we saw here. A lot of folks thought that was an omen because the Penguins have sort of borrowed Seek and Destroy from the Sharks. That's the uh, entrance song that the Sharks use. St. Louis Blues used it and were dispatched by the Sharks in six games. Well, the Penguins have used that most of the season, if not all season, uh, as their Take the Ice music. They've used it in the playoffs as well. And I talked to my buddy Vinny Karputzka, as well as Billy Wareham, the two guys that Uh, handle in-game entertainment for the Penguins. They said they're going to stick with it throughout, and they have, even though they've gone a little lighter on Metallica during the games because of this tie-in with the Sharks. And uh, the Penguins were able to overcome the... the appearance of Metallica here at Game 4, they go out and pick up a very impressive 3-1 to victory over the Sharks. It was a little bit more of a nail-biter than the 3-1 score because the Sharks came all guns blazing, specifically in the third period. Matt Murray was up to the task. That's when they scored their first goal, though. It was 2 nothing Penguins. And then um, it was Melker Carlson, another great undrafted free agent for the Sharks. He scored uh, what, but to me, okay, and I'm jumping all around on you guys, and it's because my mind is full of thoughts on this series, and I should probably try and be a bit more organized here, but I'm sure you guys are still able to follow along. What annoyed me on this is everybody's calling Matt Murray out, calling it a bad goal. Okay, it wasn't quite as bad a goal as the Joel Ward goal, but it was one I felt he should have stopped. But nobody is calling the darling Ian Cole out for the play he made. And I say the darling because... All of the hockey fans and everyone's calling him Bay, and everybody loves Ian Cole and all the media here in Pittsburgh love Ian Cole and Ian Cole and Ian Cole Cole so great and he's really turned his season around. I concur. He has turned his season around. He's been one of the bright spots on the Penguins' blue line. However, he is still fully capable of making mistakes and this was one. He had a chance at the loose puck. The puck is bouncing all around. He blocks a shot and he kicks it right to Carlson's stick. Carlson then whips the shot right back on Matt Murray. It was a bang-bang play. Cole makes the block, kicks it to Carlson, shot, score. Nobody's calling Cole out for that play, saying, oh, well, well, Matt Murray should have been able to make the stop. Yes, he should have. However, you've got to be able to collectively look at the situation and pretty much identify where it went wrong. Plays start two and three steps ahead of when an actual goal is scored. And in this case, I think Ian Cole should have been able to make a stop on that play, at least chip it to the boards and make a play the way that we've seen him make numerous times in these playoffs. Didn't do it in that spot, results in a goal against his young goaltender. So uh, that did not hurt them, though. The Penguins, they end up getting a huge goal from Eric Fair, the backbreaker, to put them up 3-1, to and it created one of the best gif slash gif opportunities online for the uh, social media crowd I call it a gif I don't I don't know what what you guys call it but for me movies or videos it's a gif I can't get on board with gif gif is peanut butter anyway um, Mario Lemieux celebrates this school like it's 1999 and it made for a great opportunity. I saved the GIF. I'm going to be using it for uh, any any big moment in life. You find a five dollar bill in your you know your old pair of jeans or in your in your coat pocket from last winter. You uh, you find out that you know cheesy gordita crunch is back at Taco Bell, something like that. Break out the Mario GIF. Why not celebrate in style with layman lay magnifique Mario Lemieux? But anyway, that was a really cool moment that came out of the Eric Fair goal. And uh, in that game though. A number of storylines. Evgeny Malkin, he bounces back. Lots of folks have been hard on Gino because he just didn't look like the guy that won the Conn Smythe Trophy back in 2009. Goal and assist for him. Power play goal nonetheless, which was great to see. The assist was a nice play to keep the puck in the zone. Chips it to Phil Kessel, throws a shot on goal, results in Ian Cole getting his first ever playoff goal. So that's the kind of performances that the Penguins are getting where everybody is just chipping in. You love to see it. That's turned into a 3-1 lead for the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins here in the Stanley Cup Final. Now, let's jump into some of the storylines and some things that I've been really impressed by during the playoff run in general, and specifically in this uh, in this Stanley Cup Final. Everyone wants to know, what is making the Penguins' blue line so good? Why is it working? How is it working? Well, I will say this much. It's more a... Uh, a a, a sum of the pieces coming together than it is individuals. Yes, Chris Letang's been outstanding in the final. He's been outstanding for long stretches of the Stanley Cup playoffs in general, and he's one of the few players on the Penguins roster with uh, three points in the Stanley Cup final, which is nice to see because it's not been a high-scoring final by any means. The highest scorers in this series all have three points. The Penguins have four players with three points, and uh, Letang is one of them. And the Sharks have just one. Donskoy, he has three points. But the blue line has worked as such. Brian Dumoulin and Chris Letang have formed a very formidable top pair for the Penguins. Dumoulin, I I like to joke that Jim Rutherford went back in time, traded him to Ray Shiro in 2012 in exchange for Jordan Stahl, just so he would have him now during this run. What's overlooked a lot... In the, uh, I, I think in the glare of young players like Brian Rust and Connor Sheary playing so well, is that Brian Dumoulin is essentially still a rookie. Yes, he he played some games last year and has been on the radar for a handful of seasons now, but this is a guy that's really going through his first full season in the National Hockey League, and he has been outstanding. Really impressed by what we're seeing from Brian Dumoulin. He moves the puck so well, uh, jumps into the play better than a lot of people ever gave him uh, gave him credit for. He's got uh, five block shots in the series. He's got uh, five hits in the series. He's all over the place. This is a guy that's just done very quiet work, but very effective work next to Chris Letang. Letang's gone out there and played his normal close to 30 minutes a night. Dumoulin's been right there with him, which then opens it up for the second pair. Ali Mata and uh, Ben Lovejoy to just go out and do their work. If there's an unsung hero for this blue line in my mind, it's Ben Lovejoy. He does not hesitate to make a decision. Puck is always out of the zone quick. It's the safe play, it's up the boards, nothing through the middle. He gets it up. He also in the offensive zone gets gets shots on goal quickly. That's how he got himself a goal and an assist back in game 3. He's just firing pucks to the net. He's getting deflections, he's getting tips from his uh, forwards. You love seeing that. But he and Ole Matta have really come together to be a yin and yang for one another. Matta can still push the offense a little bit. Lovejoy can hold back, maybe be a little bit more of a safety net for him. And that's helped Oli Matta really turn his playoffs around. His first handful of games in these Stanley Cup playoffs, you just thought, uh-oh, what did the Penguins get themselves into signing this kid to a long-term deal? Well, now he's a plus player He's playing big minutes. He's blocking shots. He's doing everything you expected from this kid uh, when, when he really broke onto the scene as a rookie during his first season after being picked back in 2012. So you love to see him come together with Lovejoy. So those pieces have locked right in perfectly, the top four. Then the bottom pair, Justin Schultz, Ian Cole. You're seeing Ian Cole be a very effective penalty killer along with Ben Lovejoy, so that's where his biggest value is. He's also been the safety net for a Justin Schultz. Schultz has been able to go out and show off his moving ability. They've been able to get on the attack together sometimes and just the emergence of the other five defensemen if you will has allowed Mike Sullivan to shelter Justin Schultz a little bit because the Sharks, they're no stranger to him. They know that he might be the one piece they could take full advantage of and beat up a little bit and and get physical with and get him to you know cough up pucks and maybe take advantage of. Well, they limited him to 10 10 minutes in the last game. He's not being overexposed. He's getting power play time. He's getting out there in offensive situations. He's moving the puck effectively. He's putting shots on goal still when he gets those opportunities. Cole's there to protect him a little bit when they're out together. And then you can sort of sit him down because you can double shift Chris Letang. Letang has double shifted with Ian Cole a lot. That's something we've seen happen more times than not. Uh, and, And just a couple games ago, He played almost equal time with his own partner, Brian Dumlin, as he did with Ian Cole, which tells you he's just being double-shifted. Then you stir in his power play time, and that's where it really jumps up. So uh, it's kind of interesting to watch these chess matches play out. But for me, that's why the Penguins' blue line's been so well. Go back in your memory banks here and think 2009. One of the best defensive pairings that the Penguins had. Yes, Sergei Gonchar did what he did, even though he missed some time after taking the knee-on-knee hit from Alex Ovechkin. But what everybody remembers is the piece Rob Scuderi teaming with Hal Gill to form this shutdown tandem. Yes, they were afflicted at times by players like Alex Ovechkin, who was getting around them and creating some offense in the Capital Series in 09, but they did yeoman's work all the way through up to the Stanley Cup Final and they were a big reason why the Penguins won. Individually, eh, they're average players. They weren't that great. They each got some uh, nice, nice uh, money out of it. They went on to sign free agent deals with other teams. But you saw them come together as it was sort of like the Wonder Twins activate. They bring the rings together and they become whatever they need to be to help team to help the team win. Individually, they might be able to be abused, used up, beaten, taken far side, doing all these things to them. Forwards could take advantage. When they were out there together, it didn't happen. That's what you're seeing with this Penguins blue line. All four guys have really been the Wonder Twins. They've come together, the top four I'm talking about. And even all the way, all six of the defensemen have had that same thing happen. So that's why. It's more the sum of the parts rather than the individuals. Now, let's jump into Phil Kessel just a little bit here. I know he's not rolling up the offense like he was maybe in the Stanley Cup Final, even though he just had two primary assists in the last game. Got himself a goal earlier in the series. He's one of the three-point scorers for the Penguins so far here. You love seeing it. Uh, I just I can't think of a better story in, in hockey, just based on the way the Canadian media crapped all over this kid, uh, treated him like garbage in my estimation, ran him out of Toronto, couldn't have been happier to be rid of him. Well, guess what, Toronto? He's one win away from a Stanley Cup, and there's a high probability that he's going to be the Conn Smythe Trophy winner as the playoff MVP for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I don't know that you could have scripted this any better when Jim Rutherford made the trade over the summer, just a couple days after the draft in Florida. There was a lot of speculation. Is it going to happen? Are the Penguins going to jump in? People were upset that they missed out on Brandon Sod when he got dealt to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Well, guess what? Columbus Blue Jackets didn't even make the playoffs with the Pittsburgh kid, Brandon Sod, uh, Pine Richland zone. They're in the Stanley Cup final with Phil Kessel, and Phil Kessel's been a huge contributor the whole way. Now, I I just I feel like the kid was unfairly criticized. I know he did not have the year that we anticipated when he got here. He was going to be a 40-50 goal type man. Well, it didn't happen that way. No one's going to score that way in this league. I mean, yeah, Alex Ovechkin r- rolls up goals with uh, you know, with regularity, getting 50 goals like it's nothing. Phil Kessel very well may do that next season. It really doesn't matter now when you look back because of the way the kid's performed here in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I will tell you, Marilyn Manson has a song where he once said, and not that he's a great poet or anything, but he once said he wasn't born with enough middle fingers, and you know what that means. That's the way Phil Kessel feels right now when he looks at the Canadian media. He looks up there and he says, You know what, you guys have beat me up for being uh, a little bit frumpy, receding hairline, hot dog lover, all this crap. I just did a radio show yesterday where... A, a, a guy who's a Canadian journalist again starts on Phil Kessel with the hot dogs. I, it's a sham of a story. Steve Simmons, when he wrote this, had no corroboration. He, he's he's looking at uh, a, a, a hot dog truck or whatever, a hot dog stand that wasn't even anywhere near where Phil Kessel lived in Toronto, and he's like, he went there daily for a hot dog. Even if he did, who cares? As Jim Rutherford has said, he was Toronto's best player for seven or eight seasons. They ran him out of town. They hated him. Well, guess what? Pittsburgh Penguins fans are loving Phil right now. They're they're feeling, if you will, they're filling the Stanley Cup final. I don't even know how I want to say that. It doesn't matter. He's been a great story. Evgeny Malkin, he's emerging at the right time. Maybe it's in honor of his new baby, Nikita, that was born last week. Congrats to the Malkins. You love having that happen. Gino applied for a marriage license recently. Word is maybe he's already married. Doesn't matter. All we care about is what he does on the ice, but we do want to congratulate him for his new baby. Now, he went out, goal and assist in the last game. Great showing for him. This would be the perfect time for Gino to slip into Machino mode and get it done in the Stanley Cup final. Former Smythe Trophy winner, He's not going to get it this time, but he can help them hoist Lord Stanley's Cup here in Pittsburgh Thursday night. Matt Murray has continued to be a huge storyline for this team. Love the way he's playing. Yes, he's not necessarily had to steal games. He's not necessarily been, um, you know, perfect. He's let up a bad goal from time to time. But I love the way he just lets it go. It's gone. Once it beats him it's gone. It's out of his memory bank. He always says, once it crosses the goal line, I can't do anything about it. I got to move on and make the next save. Such an outstanding outlook for a young player, 22 years old now. Can't believe that he's able to just let it roll off his back in that way. Conn Smythe candidates, we've talked a little about this already. Phil Kessel, I think right now, is the the leader. He's probably going to be the guy. Now, Will the Canadian media, who have a number of the votes for Conn Smythe, give it to him? That's yet to be determined. They don't seem to be Phil Kessel fans, even though it's really hard to take it away from him for what he's done here. I mean, the kid has done nothing but roll-up points all playoffs long. He scored big goals, and I think he deserves it. Sidney Crosby's a dark horse candidate, Matt Murray a dark horse candidate, as well as Nick Benino, dark horse candidate. He has been one of the leading shot blockers In the league, during the playoffs, from the forward position. Unheard of. A lot of times you will never see a forward block shots the way that he does. Here's the thing that stands out. You want to talk Nick Bonino? 18 block shots in the Stanley Cup Final alone. That's 18 block shots in four games. Four games he's blocked 18 shots. Next closest, Oli Matta with 10. Everyone else in single digits. Unbelievable stuff for Nick Bonino. So that's why I think he's a candidate. I think that the Penguins' depth, speed, tenacity, resilience all been on display. It's just a huge reason for why they are where they are. Driving the Sharks crazy. Sharks do not have an answer for anything that the Penguins are doing. And it's taking its toll. And I think that's a big reason why the the Penguins are going to be able to finish this up on Thursday night. As I said earlier, you don't want to get ahead of yourself. But at the same time, I haven't seen enough out of the Sharks through four games to say that they are going to be able to push back enough in Consol Energy Center to win, let alone win three games. So uh, don't get your hopes up too, too high until you see the final result. But if you can get in the building tomorrow, you may want to do that. Now, the loss of Thomas Hurdle huge for the Sharks. He was probably one of their speediest forwards. Uh, And I I, I don't want to take credit for hurting the kid. However, the moment we published sizing up on Thomas Hurdle out of the playoffs, he hasn't played a game since. Same thing happened with Carl Alsner back in the cap series. I did a sizing up on him. Maybe maybe my sizing's up. And uh you know, maybe you know the the crew back at the office in in up in uh, Beaver County can get in touch with me and tell me which player we should do this for cuz they've proven to be like voodoo dolls at this point. They knocked Carl Alsner out. They've knocked Thomas Hurdle out right now. So we'll see if we can't uh have that same effect on somebody else. I don't want to be responsible for hurting a guy, but it certainly seems that way. Now, couple quick thoughts on how they've gotten to this point. Three-one lead. I know we've talked through many of the storylines. Here's a couple more quickly. Then we'll get you a couple quick Twitter questions. News of the weird, send you on your way ready for game five in Pittsburgh Thursday night. First of all, Penguins have played with the lead the entire time. They have not trailed in this series. If they make that happen again, excuse me, if they make that happen again on Thursday night, they'll be the first team to to be able to pull off this feat, and that's never trailing in the Stanley Cup Final. It's just unbelievable. They did lose one game, but they uh, it was an overtime goal, so they never really had to trail for any time in terms of playing time. So keep that in the back of your mind right now. Penguins have been very loose, very comfortable, because they've never had to come from behind. They've just played with the lead the entire time. They have also gone out and knocked off this, this Sharks power play. They were clicking at 27% coming into the series, doing an outstanding job of carrying the Sharks to this point. Well, the Penguins, first of all, have nullified it by staying pretty disciplined. They've given the Sharks just eight power plays through four games, and they've allowed just one power play goal back in game one to Thomas Hurdle. Since, they've shut them down. Sharks have not been able to get on the board in terms of their power play. Now, they've done an equally good job against the Penguins' power play, holding them to one for eight. But the Pens did break through in game four, getting the big goal from Evgeny Malkin. And what was neat about this was Evgeny Malkin left his area along the half wall on the right wing board and went to the net and set up set up shop right at the goal mouth. And that's why he scored. He gave Phil Kessel a great target right in front of the net, was able to bury a nice pass from the presumptive, if you will, Conn Smythe Trophy winner. But that's been a huge reason why the Penguins have been where they are here, playing with the lead, shutting the Sharks' power play down. We've talked about their depth. It's uh, craziness right now that the Penguins have just been on fire. And what's funny is I read something earlier showing that uh, it was Pierre Lebrun from ESPN saying that they had 16 different players score in the playoffs. Not true, Pierre Seventeen players with goals, nineteen with points. Not to point out a uh, flaw, because I do enjoy your work, my friend. We also enjoy your uh, game-winning goal pulls, but we will leave that conversation for another day. Uh, but it, th- that's really been a big key for me. The way their depth has stepped up, you're seeing guys like Ian Cole get pick up goals, like they did in the last game. You're seeing Ben Lovejoy score a couple games ago. You're seeing Matt Cullen produce the way he did. Coonakle, Sheary, Rust. All these guys coming at you in waves, getting it done. Penguins teams of the past did not have this depth. That's a huge reason why they are where they are here. The uh, Penguins have shut down the Sharks' big guys. You're seeing Joe Pavelski, Joe Thornton, Logan Couture, Brent Burns. No goals from them in the Stanley Cup Final. They came into this series as the leading scorers for the Sharks, just ripping it up in terms of offense. They're not able to get it going right now, um, and that's been a big reason for the Penguins' success to this point. Now, I do want to say, look for the Sharks to try and maybe create some more quality, high-percentage shots. One of the things that's not working for them is the fact that they um, I I feel like they have read into this narrative a little too much that the that the uh, Matt Murray's glove hand is not good, so they're trying to shoot high on him every chance they get. Their first, not getting the puck up enough into the corner, that's specifically been evident with Patrick Marleau. He's been the guy that's gotten a couple great looks and hasn't been able to get the puck up, and Matt Murray's been able to knock it away. But when Couture's had a chance, Thornton's had a chance, Pavelski's had his chances, they're shooting over the net because they're trying so hard to go to the glove hand side high that they're missing the net in full, and that's just helped Matt Murray and the Penguins out. Look for them to try and get those shots down a little bit, moving into Game 5. Otherwise, they may come through this without picking up a point. And let me tell you, it is very interesting to be on the other side of this. You may remember 2013, Penguins, Eastern Conference Final against the Boston Bruins. They scored just two goals through four games. Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Kunitz, all these other players. Uh, and it wasn't Kunitz, I believe he got on the board. But all of these other players, it was Chris Letang with the other two big guys. No, no goals in the series. Well, that's what the Sharks fans have got to be experiencing right now. Just an unbelievable turn of events. And of course, Penguins big guns specifically Sidney Crosby, I feel like he's been at his best in the Stanley Cup Final. It's been great to see. It's been fun to see Sidney Crosby get some respect and uh, recognition around the league as well because he's also the guy that gets all the criticism when things aren't going well. It's been nice to see him not really getting on the board a ton here and still get a lot of credit for what he's doing here in the final. All right, a couple quick Twitter questions. My buddy Needles Heel, you know he comes in uh, with a question on a weekly basis. Chris asks us this. Gino, one goal in 15 games, $10 million. That's a lot to have, just a couple assists. Clearly, the game has changed since 09. Why hasn't he? Well, you know what he did the other game. This question came in before Game 4. He did pick himself up a goal and an assist in that one. Evgeny Malkin has evolved. I think he's playing injured, first of all. I think his arms were bothering him. I talked to a couple people that said he's having some issues with the rotation of his forearm on his elbow, that's going to impact you any different way when you're trying to get shots off, when you're trying to stick handle, when you're trying to do what you do. But if Evgeny Malkin's still Evgeny Malkin. you got to realize there's always two and three teal jerseys on him. There's always two and three defenders on. He, Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, they're all getting shut down here. It's just that it's been popular to rip on him because... Of the penalties he occasionally takes, he's uh, not looked like himself, if you will. He's a bit streaky at this stage of his career. But I don't think that, that the game has passed him by by any means, and I don't think that it's not his not evolving. I think this is a player that's still going to be very effective for the Penguins before this is all said and done. And um, I, I did hear some some speculation coming from Canada that he might get moved this summer. If that happens, so be it. I haven't heard that talk myself. There's also the no movement clause to worry about. Uh, I, I think that the Penguins probably could get a haul for them if they do move them but you never get proper return for guys like Sid and Gino and all these other star players. The, uh, the The team that gets the best player in the deal ends up usually winning it. Now, unless you can find a way to get the the first overall draft pick or something and get Austin Matthews which you're not going to get uh, from Toronto I don't know that you see Evgeny Malkin dealt for pro for full value, but keep your eye on that situation moving forward. But I don't think it's a matter of the game and he being on different pages here. Just Gino is going to be just fine, and I think you'll see him probably contribute in Game Five. Uh, Will on Twitter he asks: Pens have excelled at adjustments in playoffs. What adjustments do the Sharks have left to try? Well, for me, I would look for Peter DeBoer to switch his lines up a little bit. He's gone with the same lineup pretty much throughout. He had to shuffle it a little bit when he lost Hurdle, but You've seen Donskoy move into that spot on the top line. He's been a productive player. He's got to find some way to just get Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, and uh, Patrick Marleau going. Find a way to get them on the board. And for me, that's going to be double-shifting them, playing them in situations where you least expect. And the one example that people have been talking a lot about is you may think back to years where Jaromir Yager, different teams he's played on, he would play on his normal line. He'd be on the top line, and then you'd suddenly just see him take a shift with the fourth line. And try and catch a team off guard and get a favorable matchup. That's what you're going to have to watch Peter DeBoer do. You're going to also have to watch the Sharks find what better ways to break out of their zone and to get on the attack because their transition game's been shut down in all but Game 3. I think that that's been an issue for them. And I don't know that there's an adjustment that they can possibly make heading into Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final that hasn't been tried already. So it's going to be a very tough situation for Peter DeBoer. He's pretty much stuck with what's worked in terms of lines and everything. I don't know that that's going to work for him. And then we got a joking question from Ray. When is the victory parade with hashtag JinxAlert? I will tell you this much. Some team that's in the Stanley Cup Final will have a victory parade sometime after the final game of the final. That's as far as I'll go with that. Lastly, news of the weird, and I will tell you, if I sounded shot out of a cannon today, it's because I've had two Monster Energy energy drinks and a giant cup of coffee, so I'm pretty fired up. must just be how I get during the Stanley Cup final. Uh, this one comes to us from California. Speaking of energy drinks, Police Arrest 5 accused of stealing $4,700 in energy drinks. No truth to the rumor that it was uh, Simone Dupre who... Uh, You know, War Number 47. But police in Northern California say they arrested five men for stealing $4,700 worth of energy drinks. San Jose television station, bum bum bum, KNTV reports that uh, Vacayville police officers nabbed the four adults and one juvenile Friday night as they wheeled a cart full of Red Bull out of a grocery store and loaded it onto a waiting U-Haul van. The police department says the grocery store was one of many places visited by the group. Police said the U-Haul van was packed with energy drink. Police say the four adults were booked into the uh, Solano County Jail and the minor into a juvenile hall. All are from Oakland. Is this what is going on in San Jose? You're stealing energy drinks. Maybe that's the adjustment that the Sharks are going to make. They're going to load up on Red Bull, hoping that it does indeed give them wings with that I wrap up this edition of the show one other note to keep an eye on I forgot to mention watch for the Sharks defensemen panicking in their own zone they've done that a whole lot it resulted in a delay game penalty for Paul Martin earlier in this series and it's caused a lot of havoc in terms of the way the Penguins forecheck has been on them with tenacity and uh, all over them forcing turnovers but that's the last that's the last of it I promise 38 minutes deep. We're getting you out of here at the 39-minute mark. I appreciate you being with me this week. The next time we meet, will we be talking about Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins? I don't know. That's yet to be determined. Could happen. Thursday night, Consol Energy Center. Be there or be less than circular next Wednesday for the Times Online Penguins podcast, and we'll talk all about it then. Thanks again.